Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I'm here with Peter Diamandis, and this is our next episode of Exponential Wisdom. And Peter, today we're going to dive deeply into what is the single reason for all improvement on the planet, and the subject is experimentation. And I know this has been a passion of yours. If you look back to the original XPRIZE, the whole purpose of XPRIZE is to get maximum experimentation happening around a single breakthrough. And I just know that this is in your DNA and this is in your bloodstream. So I'd like you to just give an overview to everybody about what you've learned since the Harvard Medical School said that you are not allowed to experiment with your medical practice. (laughs) (laughs) You know, as an entrepreneur and speaking to entrepreneurs, the single most important thing that we can do in our business is continuous experimentation. And the amazing thing is that the technology we have today for using the web, sensors and networks, computational power, Google, all of these things is it makes it easier and easier for us to experiment. And you actually don't need to guess what is going to be the response of the customers to your product or service. You can experiment and you can experiment with a hundred iterations of it, variations of it and say, look, this one is 0.01% better and this one's you know, 2% worse and I'm going to go this way. And, and that allows you to continuously optimize. And so this year, actually, my entire team at PhD Ventures knows that's my mantra, experimentation, experimentation. I've realized recently, maybe these are topics for us to go into later, but if you hire the best people and you put them into a culture that supports experimentation and supports a great place to work and then you give them the best tools for experimentation and let them iterate and experiment and you run that machine of recruit great culture experiment recruit great culture experiment you are going to as a ceo as an entrepreneur be cranking out better and better products and so i'm really thinking about that so with my team i've been researching that exact field. I've been researching experimentation and I've been talking to some of the best people on this field. So I spent recently time with a guy named Jeff Holden. Jeff is the chief product officer at Uber, was I think the second employee at Amazon with Jeff Bezos. Jeff Holden went with him from his previous job and and I learned from Jeff Holden how they experiment at Amazon and at Uber. And then I've spent a lot of time with one of the most brilliant people in the world in this arena, which is Astro Teller. Astro is the chief of Moonshots. He's the head of what was called Google X. Under Alphabet, it's just called X now. And the Moonshot factory is where they are running hundreds of experiments per year. And you see only a few of the top products coming out the top. And so I've been learning about how good experiments run and why it's important experiment. And I think, Dan, you and I as entrepreneurs, we're always experimenting. Mm -hmm. And so that's the conversation. I'd like to share what I've been learning and hear what you've been doing. And really, the bottom line of this podcast to everyone listening is you need to experiment. And ultimately, if you are dependent on your point of view or your expertise, well, that's okay But actually experimenting and trying lots of things and finding out what your clients or customers react to is even far better. 
Well, first of all, I want to say I'm on my toes with this one, Peter, because following our last podcast, you did a little critique on how we handled the last one. And you said, you know, it was kind of ragged. And the thing that I would like to just position in regard to what you said is that we do these podcasts, but these podcasts are also experiments. So we're constantly looking at, you know, did that do what we wanted it to do? You just gave me a simple principle. Let's work out the complete structure of the podcast, not the content, but the structure of the podcast before we did it. And I, I was sitting there, I stand corrected. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to be on my toes. But that's just a very simple example of how these things can happen with things that you're doing every day. And that is to treat everything that you're doing as maybe 80% known, but there's a 20% possibility that something brand new is possible just in the way you go about your everyday activities to constantly find faster, easier, cheaper, and bigger ways to actually operate. So if I look at great entrepreneurs and not great entrepreneurs, and I've coached 6,000 of them, (laughs) the sole difference that I see between the success of one and the not great success of the other is the degree to which they're willing to take their newest ideas and actually subject them to experimentation. And I have a thing, only test on check writers, that basically, if you come up with a new idea, don't test it on your wife, don't test it on your secretary, don't test it on your best buddy from college, don't test it with your golf buddy, go out into the marketplace, find someone who could write you a check for that idea, and actually on a napkin, just draw out what the proposition is and see how they react to it. And so, I mean, it's important, right? It's testing it with real customers. Dan, let me take a second and share some of the basic concepts that I've learned in my conversations with Astro when I spent some time at their Moonshot factory. So Astro talks about what is a good experiment. And a good experiment is one in which, first of all, you don't actually know the answer in advance. If you know the answer, don't waste your time and money. A good experiment is one in which when you get results, those results are actually going to change what you do. Because if they don't change what you do, then why run the experiment? And I've seen so many people like, you know, run the experiment, get the data, and then ignore it totally and do what they were going to do in the first place. I mean, what a waste of time and what a stupid thing to do. And then the third is actually running an experiment which is actually quantifiable, where you're measuring something concrete and you're actually getting real data. If you can't actually measure the results, like you said, going to a customer and proposing this and do they write a check or don't they write a check, is a data point and then you can also vary it and say here's option a b or c which would you write a check for and you have data there so that's one big thing about how do you structure an experiment and what is a valid experiment is a starting point Mm -hmm. one of the greatest dangers for entrepreneurs especially if they're creative and i've seen it over and over again i have done it myself many times so i know the pain of what it produces is to fall in love with your ideas before the marketplace falls in love with your ideas. (laughs) And that's another learning from Astro Teller. And I'd love your thought on this. Astro talks about the importance of trying to kill your ideas early. Mm -hmm. And he calls it a pre-mortem for any entrepreneur. And I think I define an entrepreneur as someone who is 
tries and fails, but gets up and tries again and fails and tries, and you know, and you iterate and mm-hmm. you just keep going. I've done postmortems on my companies that have failed, and looking back in time and saying, "Listen, it failed for these reasons." But you know, there's nothing sadder than someone, and I've been in this position, right? And maybe you have too, where you're into an idea, it's really struggling, but you've invested so much time and so much of your reputation and so much money that you don't want to give it up. And so you keep investing and you Mm -hmm. keep going and then eventually it dies. And it's like, oh my God, I should have killed it earlier. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, could you kill an idea even before you start it? So what Astro talks about with entrepreneurs and what they do at X is they will actually have their team and they will run a pre-mortem which they will come up with all the ways why this thing won't work. Mm-hmm. And if they were to go into the future and said, this died, why was it killed? If they come up with really good reasons, they will kill the project in the beginning. And part of their cultural norm at X is that they will celebrate killing a project. And they will celebrate it with all energy. And those people will get bonused and will get a standing ovation. And so what they do is they make it okay for you to kill your project. In fact, mm-hmm. it's better than okay. You're celebrated for killing your project because you have saved so much time and money and energy not to have pursued something that would have been potentially a flop. You know, it reminds me of a comment that Steve Jobs is quoted as having said, and this is about three years before his death. I think it might have been Forbes or one of the other major magazines, and they asked him, what do you consider your 10 best achievements You know, in your entire career? What are the 10 biggest achievements? And he said, the 10 things that we didn't actually do. Oh, wow, <laughs> that's fascinating. But if you go deeper on the mentality there, what's he actually saying? He said, we protected what was valuable from things that could have totally sidetracked us, could have totally used up our resources, totally made us uncompetitive as we go forward. And the thing I'd like to reflect on here, Peter, and I just ask you about yourself in relationship to this willingness to kill your own early ideas, but what you've observed, it seems to me that this is intellectual, emotional, and psychological courage at its height. I mean, it takes an enormous amount of courage to be willing to, first of all, invest in something and be super excited about something and then subject that thing that you've created to a process that could actually kill it. It takes a lot of courage to do this. It absolutely does. Along the lines of what you just said, you know, very famously when Steve Jobs came back as CEO after John Scully, the very first thing he did was he killed something like 80% of the current product lines. And he said, we're not going to do everything. We're going to focus on doing these few things really well. And Apple became the most valuable company on the planet as a result of that. And I I talk about true innovation doesn't come from thinking out of the box. Mm -hmm. It comes from thinking in a very small box, Mm -hmm. right? When you constrict and narrow your focus, it drives you to really, truly innovate. And also this terminology comes from, you know, crossing the chasm. It's like, narrow your market, then narrow your market, then narrow your market and become focused monomaniacally on solving that specific problem. So now I want to ask you a question though yeah, of a famous Peter Diamandis disaster 
where you did the opposite that you fell in love because I have one I'd like to share that cost us a million dollars in 1992 dollars 1992 dollars real dollars not mm. to not today but I just wondered if you had one which was especially painful but it was a great wake-up call for you Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God. And there are a couple, right? So first of all, when I have gone after get-rich-quick schemes, right, when I went after something that was not in my core, in my sort of my mission and purpose, I found myself spending, wasting money and time going after that to try and make money and time, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do with my life. So that's one. The second was in 1992, that same year, I was running a rocket company called International Microspace. And the vision of that company back then was to build a capability to put 100 kilograms in orbit for a million dollars. That was our, our mission, our purpose. And as we started going down that road, we started getting tempted by the government by a friend of mine who was in the strategic Star Wars SDIO initiative and they needed a much larger vehicle and they were willing to pay more money and so we got tempted by the dark side <laughs> and we started pursuing something very different from our initial pure inspirational vision and we built a capability and went after that and eventually we closed down the company sort of running it off the rails and creating what we realized was just another aerospace company, not doing anything new and innovative, chasing the money. It was a huge mistake. And I mean, for me, it was millions and millions of dollars in my time. And so it wasn't core to who we were and it should have been killed right off the bat. And it wasn't. And I learned a huge lesson there. Mine was, we had created a tool for the strategic coach that was called the pocket coach. And this was a little paper version. And immediately all the tech nerds who were entrepreneurs in the program says, oh, no, it has to be a software. You have to, not only for coach, but this will become a world famous, everybody will want to use the pocket coach. And over about a 18 month period, we invested a million dollars in I'm talking about 20-year-old dollars, you know, real dollars, yeah. not dollars like today. And at a certain point, the pain was becoming so extreme, and Babs and I met, and we said, let's just kill it. Let's just go and kill it. It was amazing because the software company, who were really enjoying the process, because <laughs> they kept adding new things, you know, process never keeps to its original thing. Yeah. They said, you can't kill software. And I said, we are going to kill software. We are going to kill a software project. And we recognized that if it ever went into play, they would have $30,000 a month just servicing the calls. So we sent out a beautiful letter saying, you know, we've made a horrible mistake. We've promised you this. And we went through. And it's probably one of the great learning lessons of our life. As of today, we're killing this project. And we just wanted you all to know it about, because you've heard about the news. And I have to tell you, Peter, that letter did us more good than the software ever would. People said, God, you're so honest. I've had things like that. That's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. But the whole point was that I mean, I'm looking back, it took real courage to do this because we had a whole team that was invested in it. We had people. But afterwards, we found out that out of a client base of probably around 1,600 
entrepreneurs. We had unfortunately just talked to the 20 people who were actually going to use it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so going back to our theme of experimentation, that's so important, right? Your yeah. Willingness to actually look at the data and kill a project. Two quick points on this. One, coming back to my Astro Teller conversation, one coming back to Jeff Holden. I asked Astro, why are they so secretive at X? And he said, we're not secretive at X because we want to try and keep the projects we're working on secret because we don't want you to know about them. We're secret because we want to be able to kill them on a regular basis without the news media saying, oh, Google fails again. Mm -hmm. And so when you're doing stuff very visibly, just remember that you either need to be willing to kill it in the visible eye or running your experiments in somewhat undercover so when you, you can more easily kill those experiments. Mm -hmm. And I found that very interesting. The second thing that I learned from Jeff Holden is that Uber is constantly running experiments. They are running experiments all the time, hundreds of experiments. I don't know if it's per day, per week, per month. Jeff Bezos very famously said, and I, I report about it in bold, that their success as a company at Amazon is a function of the number of experiments they run per year, per month, per week, per day. And if you're going to run experiments, you're going to not be understood. You're going to be seen to fail and you have to have thick skin, but that's what allows them to succeed. And so one of the things I'm doing in my own organization is I'm going to be hiring a head of experimentation that will be working with all of my team members we are creating impact filters, one of the amazing mm. tools that you've created, in which everybody's going to be writing up their experiments on their impact filters and what the experiment will be, what they hope to get out of it. And then we're going to design experiments, run the experiments, report on the experiments, then iterate in the experiments. And my goal is that we are every month and every quarter reporting on the experiments that we're doing mm. And I want to create a culture deeply rooted in constant experimentation. You know, I was really inspired with one of our previous podcasts where you talked about the five times five times five concept of experimentation, where you give teams of five a certain time period and a certain amount of money to go off. I talked to Babs about that after we had recorded the podcast, and I said, you know, I'd like to do something with the whole team, which is now about 120 team members, but I'd like to do it in a very, very short time frame. And Babs came up with this really amazing thinking process. And the way it worked was there's just one day a year when we have everybody from around the world in the same room. And so it was a thinking process where we got each person to identify an improvement that they made over the last year that made some part of their job faster, easier, cheaper, or bigger. Those are our four qualities of improving something. So that took about 10 minutes for people to actually write this up. And then we had them in groups of four talk to it. And out of each group, they picked the best idea from the group. And, you know, 120 divided by four is 30 groups. Each of the groups got up and they had a half a minute to tell their idea and they got up and somebody was transcribing on the screen behind them and then everybody of the 120 people voted on the five best ideas and then we took the five best ideas 
And we said these are going to become standard practice across the company wow. over the night. Wow. But the interesting thing is that was reverse engineering experiments that had already been done and improved. But there's no way we as a company would have known about these 120 improvements if we didn't put it in the structure. It was just something that somebody did, and it worked for them, but there was no communication of these individual. And this is one day when all these got taken in. So it's kind of a reverse engineered experiment where the experiment has already happened, it already worked, and then you make a choice about go forward. And I thought it was an interesting take on the whole notion of experimentation. Yeah, awesome. I mean, I love that idea. That's something which I think is a very usable mechanism for companies. I'll give you uh, another similar example that I know Rob Nell, the CEO of Singularity University, tried on a similar all-hands meeting of the organization. They needed to hire a senior VP of people, sort of a head of HR, and so they during one of their all-hands meeting, they said, okay, we take 20 minutes. We want you to look through your database and query your database and find candidates. So they had 20 tables of like six people, about the same size, 120 people total. And at each of the 20 tables, they picked a candidate from that group of six people and put it forward. And then they searched those 20 candidates and they actually found two or three viable candidates. And it's a way of how do you crowdsource within your organization Rooms of smart people are smarter than individual smart people. Absolutely. So as we sort of close out on this theme, I think this is the awareness that I'd love all the entrepreneurs listening to this podcast is the importance of experimentation, that the companies crushing it and doing the best mm -hmm. work out there, Google mm -hmm. and Uber and Airbnb and all these mm -hmm. companies have a culture of experimentation, designing good experiments quantifiable, measurable, where results make a difference, and then actually creating a culture where you're doing that on a constant basis and then using that. It could be simply, you know, on my books I write, I go out to my community and I do a, a monkey survey on the titles or the subtitles mm -hmm. and ask them, what do you want? Giving people ownership in designing the product in part is another benefit mm -hmm. of experimentation. You know what's really beautiful about this? Your sixth D is democratize. Any human being on the planet listening to this podcast can do this just with what's available to them in their daily life. Pick the five most important areas of your life where you'd like to see improvement. Think of an improvement and then experiment to see if it actually works. The biggest thing about this, there's a methodology to it, but there's lots of methods that are related to experimentation. But it all comes back to a fundamental mindset about experimentation. I think that's what you're getting across here. It's one of your eight mindsets for the Abundance 360 scorecard is experimentation. And I'll just read what you wrote here as the getting top marks for experimentation. It says, you believe experimentation is core to your success. That's very important. It's core to your success. You measure the number of experiments per quarter and use the results to drive decisions and processes. You embrace failure, celebrate it, and learn from it. That's a whole way of approaching the future. And so much of what you do is mindset stuff. I mean, there's, there's lots of sexy technology and there's lots of brilliant people, but 
fundamentally what unifies this entire experience that you're exploring for everybody else and mapping out and reporting back to everybody, Peter, is just fundamental mindsets. Are you geared to a future that's bigger than the past? Are you looking at a world that's going to be incomparably more abundant than we ever experienced in the past? And this experimentation thing is the most courageous mindset in action every day of your life. You know, Dan, I appreciate that. And the whole concept of these scorecards where you actually are measuring where you are and measuring your progress is core to any experiment, right? If you can't measure it, you can't improve it. I am actually wondering if you're open to it, could we do our next podcast on the idea of scorecards? Absolutely. Yes. I I love that. I've learned so much and I'm more excited about using scorecards than ever before. The term doesn't have the sex appeal, (laughs) but it is so powerful. It's deceptively powerful to the point where after strategic coach with you yesterday, I called Marissa, my team, and said, we're going to use a scorecard this way and this way and this way. It just blew my mind Mm -hmm. at how it could change and make more efficient all the experiments I'm doing. So here's this technology that you're going to be bringing to the world that is going to go viral and exponential itself. And I'd love to share it with the audience here. Yeah, we're learning so much every day. Literally, I've taken 500 entrepreneurs and turned them into a single experimentation lab about all the improvements that they're making, but we're using a common form so that they can actually communicate back in a way that one person's breakthrough becomes everybody's breakthrough. And I think that's really what the whole abundant world is all about, is one person's knowing how to do something new and better, different, gets spread immediately around the world And that's a beautiful world that we're looking forward to. Absolutely. All right, pal, as always, a pleasure to spend time with you. And like we said, let's do scorecards as our next. And for those listening, you're about to have a treat, a really extremely powerful technology coming your way. I'm very excited. Thank you, Peter. Thank you.